Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. So we've been uh, taking some time through the first couple chapters of Genesis. And uh, I, there's so much there. I'm, I'm not even covering everything. I, I'm teaching the, the Wednesday night class, which is totally different than kind of what we're doing on Sunday. I might bring in some things, but those, those on the Wednesday night class, tell me, is there a lot there or, not, or is there a lot there? You cannot exhaust even chapter one. I mean, it just hurts. I didn't even get into how many repetitions of the word made are there. I mean, it just, it blows your mind on how compact and how rich God's, God's word is. And so let's, uh, let's just start by, by praying and then we'll get moving forward. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We lift it up. It's, uh, faith is by hearing and that of the word of God. And we, it is impossible to please you without faith. And so God, I pray that, uh, we would have faith this morning. Not this faith that we just muster up within ourselves, but faith that comes by your Spirit revealing your Word and pointing us to Christ. I pray that Jesus would be lifted up this morning, that he would be magnified. Father, that your Son would, uh, would be just on every single page and every single verse that we read. He would give us life that we need. You are the bread of life, Lord Jesus. We pray that we are when we're thirsty this morning, we come to you and drink. You are the living water. You are the eternal God, and we come before you, and we just ask for you to illuminate your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week, uh, we talked about uh, being made in the image of God, and also uh, uh, here in verse 28, it says, and so God blessed them and said, hey, be fruitful and increase in number. And so we talked about sex, and that was... Uh, you know, a kind of heavy topic, and, and, and I know kind of probably made all of us feel a little bit weird sometimes, but nevertheless, I, I wanted to reiterate that that is something that God, God created, God designed, and he blessed them, Adam and Eve, by saying, hey, we want you to go and be intimate with each other. Now, the sex that God blesses is in the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. Outside that, it is not blessed. It is sin. Because it mars what, it, what our intention was created for. And that was really, in the end, it is to mimic Christ and the church. And if you didn't get that message, you can go back last, next week and you know, last week and get it online. It's, it's pretty in-depth. And so God's intent for Adam and Eve is one to have, uh, is, is to make kids. That's part of it. He's talking about in chapter 1, hey, go populate the earth. So God blessed them and said, go do that. Go be fruitful and increase. Fill the earth and subdue it. What does that mean, to subdue the earth? To rule over it, to have dominion. <laughs> Mankind was given dominion over this planet by God. Pretty cool, huh? God's intent creating this whole world, this whole place for us to enjoy, to rule, and to be lords over, so to speak. I love that. And God says, hey, I want you to have kids. I want you to spread out and, 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 and increase and cover this place with people. And it's interesting when we get to chapter 11, 
we have the Tower of Babel, what happens? They weren't doing that. They were all congregating in one place because they all had one language and one nation, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But God's original intent for them to have families that have families that have families spread out. How is man supposed to subdue the earth? How are we supposed to rule? In whose image were we created? So who are we supposed to be reflecting as we were desi- as we are designed to subdue this earth? His rule. I find it interesting this idea of the image of God. Back in the old old world, you know, even the Romans and and before that these rulers would take and they'd make images of themselves and they'd place them in distant lands that they had conquered. They'd put them in these lands and they'd say, that way when anybody looked on that, they'd recognize, hey, there's a picture of Caesar, there's a picture of this, this guy, that the dominion, the authority in that land ultimately rested on this guy that you're looking at, his image. And that's the kind of picture created in the image of God, that we are to reflect God's authority, God's way of doing things, God's love. If God were here in the flesh ruling, how would he do it? And that is the heart of when he says, go, subdue and rule the earth. Would God be, you know, trashing the place and beating up people and doing all this stuff? No. No. He'd be taking care of the environment he's in. And I don't want to get into an environmental kick. That's not what the purpose is, right? Because there's a whole bunch of political ramifications there. And, but we take care of the places that God's, give us, amen? God's given us, amen? That's a good thing. But he says, go, and I, I want you to subdue this place. You know, and we're similar to those images that have been placed in those distant lands. Created in the image of God, meant, meant to represent his authority. But... Chapter 3 happens. Sin enters the world and our hearts are no longer fashioned in the image of God. But by the grace of God, we can be made new creations in Christ Jesus, fashioned into His image again. And that's what the church is. That's what we are. Remade in his image, to reflect his glory in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful picture to reflect his kingdom. And we will, when Jesus returns, reign and rule with him for a thousand years. Exciting stuff, literally, on the earth, the way that God would have us rule. So man was given authority to rule the planet, you know, and but it's through his sinfulness in chapter 3 that he actually forfeits that authority and that rule, and it was given over to Satan, we believe, as we look at the Revelation. And Jesus is the one who came back and paid to take it back. And if you follow through the Revelation uh, series that we did, you'll, you'll have a better idea of what that's about. But verse 29 says, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. And they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And, so, and it was so. 
So before the, the fall, man was vegetarian. Who knows what things tasted like? Pretty awesome. Obviously, it was enough to sustain them. There was no death at this time on the earth. We were not having hamburgers. After the fall, my guess is Genesis 9-3, man was given, well, it says there in Genesis 9-3, that man was given permission to eat the flesh of animals. Now, some might say that eating only vegetables has some kind of benefit to it, but biblically speaking, God's made it all clean. Meat and vegetables, it's for us to enjoy. And if Jesus said it's okay, then it's okay. And if that stumbles you, brother or sister, I, I don't want to stumble anybody. I would encourage you to go read Paul's writings, Romans chapter 14, Acts chapter 10, Peter's struggle, um, these types of things, the tremendous freedom and liberty we have in Christ. But in verse 31, it says, God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. So that was the sixth day of creation. And so normally, uh, God, when he evaluates the day, he just calls it good. Now here on the seventh time he says it, what happens? It is very good. He likes what he did. Any of you, after you complete a project, you look at it and go, man, that's good. Well, I mean, well, some of you, right? <laughs> Sometimes we're like, oh, man, why do I have all these leftover parts? No. <laughs> No, 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 no. God didn't have leftover parts. He knew exactly what he was doing. But he said it's very good. He was pleased with his creation. He likes what he did. And thus, chapter 2, verse 1, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished his work, the work which he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Later on, God would take that and put it in the covenant for um, in the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath holy to the Jews. Um, and there are, there are those, those today who, who hold to that you must keep a certain day holy. As in, even in our, in our community. I want to speak to that for a moment because I think it's important to address the things that surround us as a culture. What does the Bible say? And obviously I don't want to offend anybody, but at the same time I, I, I want to shoot, shoot the truth, right? That's what we want to do. We want to say, what does the Word say about it? In, uh, in I think it's Colossians why didn't I write down the reference here? But, uh, no, it's in Galatians. There was a, Colossians, in, it's in Galatians, I think. There was a group of Jews trying to pressure the church in Galatia to, once they had received Christ, they, they kept trying to say, hey, well, you've got to keep the Sabbath, you've got to be circumcised, and you can't eat this, and you have to eat this, and you can't, you've got to be kosher, you've got to wash your hands, you've got to obey the law in order for you to be right with God. Yes, God saved you, but you have to keep the law. And so, Paul is speaking to this. Keeping the Sabbath, being circumcised, a kosher diet. There were these laws that they're trying to say that people, you had to do this, otherwise you're in trouble. And Paul is writing, and he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition 
and the elemental spiritual forces. Paul is talking lofty here, so you got it. You got it. Kind of dial in. Maybe read it a couple times. I, and I, gosh, someone could Google that reference for me. I must have deleted it off the page. It's either Colossians or uh, Galatians. But it says, "See to it take, that no one takes you captive through uh, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition." and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Man, Christ has authority is what he's saying. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Jesus Christ rules. He is supreme God. Paul's laying this down, the very first thing. And then in verse 11, he goes, In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by hands, by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When were we circumcised when we received Christ, when we were baptized by his spirit and he cut away the flesh of our hearts. When you were dead in your sins and your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Canceled. Credits paid which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. Amen. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, because Jesus rocks, because he is all that, because he has done it for you, because he is it, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebrations, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is in Christ. The shadow is not substance. It reflects a substance. The sun shines on me. I cast a shadow. The Sabbath is not the substance we're after. Christ is the substance of circumcision. Christ is the substance of, of the Sabbath day. He is these things. He is what we're to look towards. And Paul goes on. He says, Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, I won't get into that, disqualify you, such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They have lost connection with the head. They've lost connection with the head. From whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And this is the big kicker, verse 20. It says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, kind of big world, the circumcision, all these types of things, keeping the laws, right? Since you have died to these things, these spiritual forces of the world, why, as though, um, 
of this world, sorry, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Now, let me ask you a question. I know it's in America, this is probably true, but does a dead person have to obey laws? Does a dead person pay taxes? Well, obviously they do. They tax you to death and after death. But, I mean, you no longer pay taxes, correct? When you, when you die, are you still married to the person you were legally binded to? There's a law there that Paul is trying to explain. If you died with Christ, why are you still acting like you are, have to keep this law? This is big because I'm not preaching lawlessness. Believe me, I'm not preaching lawlessness. I'm, te- I'm preaching what people will try to... Righteousness is in Christ. It's not in legalism. So listen, he goes on real quickly. He says, why do you submit to these rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such, such reg- regulations uh, indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Doesn't it seem wise to do this? With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual desires. The law does not make you holy. It does not make you righteous. It does not make you pure. It does not restrain you. Paul says it makes you worse. Do not touch this pulpit. What do we all want to do? I just, hey, how you doing? What's going on? You know, I mean, we'll, it's in our heart. It's, it shows. The law is to drive us to Christ. I can't keep the law. Trying to keep the law is, you know, it's a miserable life. Anyone? But Paul wants to contrast that. It's not that we're to be lawless. It's that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit in our lives, in our daily lives. And this is where we fall short as brothers and sisters. Sometimes, anyone? You know, I mean, we don't like to, you know, okay, hey, I'm free, grace, grace, grace. But then what about what we were created for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be led and moved by Him every single day? Like Jesus walking through the Sabbath field and the disciples grabbing green. You know, but there were a group of these Jews, and they were trying to pressure the church in Galatia to observe the Sabbath. You've got to do these things. And in Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they went back to the church council and said, hey man, God, God's really doing the work. The Holy Spirit he fell on this group of people. They're, they're part of the church too now. What do we do? And the church council in Acts, they started arguing back and forth. Hey, well, do we make them obey? There was no talk about they, they were wrestling back and forth because there were some Pharisees on the, you know, on the, whatever, the, the church board there in Jerusalem. Anyone? And they, they were wrestling back and forth. Well, what do we have these people do? They're Gentiles. What do they do? Tell them to keep the law? Tell them to get circumcised? Any of that stuff? No. They said, hey, you know what? Just don't, 
eat things that are strangled to idols and keep yourselves pure sexually, and you guys are good. And Paul even modifies that later in, when he's talking to the Corinthians and says, hey, don't even ask when you're going to the market if this thing has been sacrificed to idols. Don't even ask because it's going to mess with your conscience. We're free. You can eat it. It's good. God cleansed it. We all know that those things are fake. You know, we're not, it's just, that's all good. So Paul's telling this church that the purpose of the Sabbath and these other things, they're a shadow of things to come. They are a shadow of things to come, but the reality, the substance is Christ. That circumcision was a physical action that had a spiritual reality. It was found in Christ. First covenant, Old Testament, shadows pointing to Jesus, all of them. symbol of circumcision pointed towards the reality of Christ, that he cuts the flesh of our hearts, the dead works out of our lives. Amen? It can't be done with hands. It has to be done by the Spirit in our hearts through faith. Likewise, the Sabbath, the seventh day, was a physical day of rest that had a spiritual reality in it, which is Christ is our rest. He is our rest. We no longer struggle for salvation, we rest in salvation. He paid it all. Amen? That's what the picture is. The symbol of the Sabbath was a shadow that the rest of the rest of what we have is in Christ. Paul is saying that being circumcised, not eating, drinking certain foods, and keeping the Sabbath, we're all pointing to the realities of Christ. And when those Jewish Galatians came to faith in Christ as their Messiah, those realities were theirs in him. They were circumcised. They had rest. You have rest in Christ. He is your rest. Now rest in him. They were circumcised of heart. They had the eternal rest of Christ. Now they were dead to the law. And Paul says to this church, since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Keeping all these laws does not change the nature of a sinful human being. Only Jesus changes our nature. Jesus changes our nature, not the law. The law reveals our nature. The law of the Sabbath is not a means of making one right with God, as people would say in our community. I'm sorry. And the reason why I'm so hard on this is because it's a salvation issue. You trust in the law for salvation, you will not make it. You're not getting in the door. We go, we have salvation through Christ alone. And they will blur that. And I tell you, because they've been, I'm sorry, this is a judgment, but here it is. They've been removed from the head. Not all of them, but I would say many of the teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So be careful. Don't get into legalism. Don't let anybody beguile you, deceive you into have, thinking you have to keep this or touch that or don't jump through all these hoops. You cannot keep, you cannot be born again. You cannot have faith in Christ through the law. You can't be saved through the law. No way. So, Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. So church, especially in this community we live in, be careful. 
be kind and be loving, okay? <laughs> Don't be all hardcore. I get, you know, I'm teaching I have to be hardcore because it's cheap. Come on, let's go. You know, we got to be aware. But now the question is, do people need a day off? I think the real question in our culture is, do people need to work six days? <laughs> you know? I mean, if you want to play the law, let's play the law. <laughs> but, no, seriously. We are not under a legal obligation to keep the Sabbath, but God created the Sabbath for man. Does that make sense? We need it. We need rest. So, Make sure we're taking care of ourselves and taking some time off. Amen? God created it for you because he knows you. He knows, hey, six days, work it out. Seventh day, take some rest. However that looks between you and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Work it out. So I just think, you know, I think God's pretty, pretty practical here. I think he says, that, you know, not all. All things, you know, all things are lawful and all things are profitable, right? So when we get into issues of how we live our lives and what we do, God has a lot of wisdom in his word about how we can live and, and how he made us. So I think we should look at it and follow it. But as far as a, me, as, a, as a means of salvation, you don't keep the Sabbath for to be saved. Amen? So, the description, so the seventh day God rested. And I read this nugget by David Guzik, and I thought it was a great insight on that seventh day just to wrap it up. It says, the description of each other day of creation ended with the phrase, so the evening and the morning were that day. However, this seventh day of creation does not have that phrase. This is because God's rest for us isn't confined to one literal day. And Jesus, God, has an eternal Sabbath rest for his people. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So enjoy Christ and all that he's accomplished on your behalf. So ch chapter 2, verse 4 says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 4 begins a new section in Genesis. A new section. This is kind of where it talks. And those uh, in the Genesis classes are going to tell you that, that the title of God changes here. It switches. It switches from God to Lord God. God in chapter 1 is Elohim, you know, the eternal God, the mighty God. And that is plural. Very interesting. And now, Lord God. Lord God. That word Lord in front of God is Jehovah. Is kind of how we say it. Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. It actually, when the... Uh, when the Jews were translating it, they thought they, they looked at God's name as so holy that they, they took out the, the vowels. And so we don't really know what it, what it is. It's like, you know, it's Y-H-W-H, just really quick. And it kind of sounds like breath. But as you look at that, uh, that term over the, over the years, the scholars have gone, well, it, maybe it sounds like Yahweh, maybe, it, maybe it's Jehovah, and so we really don't know what it is. But the idea behind what, what, the, what the grammar is, is that it means, uh, it's, it's a verb, it means to be. And that's kind of where we get I am. 
And so when you look at now in chapter 2, verse 4, God is saying, you know, I am the personal name of God. And that's how he reveals himself to be to us, the I am. What do you need today? God wants to be that for you. Do you need salvation? Do you need healing? Do you need help? Are you lonely? Do you need provision? Do you need food? God wants to be that for us. He wants us to go to him for all we, our needs and all our sources. We were created to go to him for everything you need. The question is, do we? Do I need salvation? I am. Do you need healing? Do you need love? I am. He reveals himself to be Yahweh or Jehovah, desiring that all would be met in him. So chapter 2, four, two verse 4, it uses Lord God. Just something really interesting as we're going to close here. If you look in your Bibles, and you have different versions of the Bible, how many of you have New King James? Raise your hand. How many of you have King James? Okay. How many of you have NIV? Okay. So, what the translators did, and they did this differently in each one of the Bibles because they're trying to communicate an idea. And when you see there in chapter 2, verse 1, you'll see LORD in all capitals, right? Chapter 2, verse 4, it says L-O-R-D in all capitals, right? Anytime you see that in the New King James, in the King James, in some of those other translations, that is the name of God, Yahweh. In those translations as well, I'm not talking to NIV people right now, in those translations as well, you will have uh, a capital L and then uh, a small cap, O-R-D, not all capitals, but a, uh, they have lowercase capitals next to an, a, a, cap, a capital L, so it's, it's a smaller Lord. That is Adonai. That's a different name for God. Okay? And so the translators are trying to say, hey, there's different words, and they all kind of convey the same thing. In the NIV, it's very interesting. You get into Psalm 110. And the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Thank you very much. Well, it was, and, uh, and the eternal God said to, to Adonai, so two different words in the Greek, sit at my right hand. There's two different peoples talking back and forth there. You don't get that by reading Lord, Lord, do you? So there's a lot more in the text. Like I said, I'm not going to get into all this totally right now, but the name describes his character. And he wants you to know that he is your I am. What do you need this morning? Chapter 2, verse 4, the Lord uses that word, Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, the personal name meaning to be, to, fo to uh, follow by the mighty one. And he uses his personal name beginning in chapter 2 because who is he dealing with? He's starting to deal with man and people. Chapter 1, he is the eternal God. He's dealing with creation. But now he's dealing with us, and he's Lord. And that implies relationship. That implies relationship. And as I asked our Genesis class on Wednesday night, what makes God Lord? Obviously he is, but what makes him Lord in our life? Someone's not Lord if you don't do what they say. <laughs> by reading, by sensing the Spirit and obeying, that's what makes him Lord. And that's what 
Jesus is, uh, that's what God here in chapter 1 is doing with, and chapter 2 is, and 3 is going to do with Adam. I'm placing you here. I want you to do this. Okay. And then you'll see it changes when they don't do what he says. It's pretty interesting. We'll, we'll get into that later. But the, the final thought, and, and there's a bigger section. That's why I'm kind of stalling out here. I can't get into it right now. But this morning, I want to ask yourself, in, in your life, what is your greatest need? What is your greatest need? Something maybe you don't even tell anybody else, but you have inside your heart. Hold on for just one second. I'm just asking in general. It's okay. But what is your... What is your need? Talk, you know, in your, within your own heart. I want you to think about that this week. And I want you to also, just, just to challenge you, ask yourself, how am I meeting that need? It's kind of a hook, isn't it? Because if God is I am and I'm meeting my need, who is he not? Ask yourself, am I meeting this need in my life or am I going to God who's revealing how to have that need met? It's a big difference. Let him be Lord in your life. Let him be I am this week. Go to him and ask, God, this is my worst fear. This is the greatest problem I got going. This is my challenge. This is my hope. Lord, you are the I am. This is what you say you are. What do I do? Where do I go? Let him speak to you. Let him teach you. Let him show you. Let him provide. Let him heal. Let him choose not to heal. He knows what's best. But go to him. Amen? Go to him, the source. That's the challenge for this week. So let's pray. Father, we ask that as we go forward this week, in the hearts of your people, you would continue to show them that you are a God of grace. And I pray that like Adam before the fall, we would learn to walk in it. Like Jesus walked on this earth. Adam was just concerned about living and talking and relating with you, Father, and enjoying all the goodness you've given. I pray that you teach us to do that again. Pray that you'd remove any pain in our hearts, Lord, that has been caused by sin. That you'd make us new creations in Christ Jesus. And those of us who have been made new creations, I pray that you'd re re review, Lord, that grace in our hearts. Renew it in us. That we would be focused on it. I pray that if anyone in this morning has been trying to be right by keeping the law, I pray that they would not focus on the shadow, but focus on the substance of Christ this morning. And that we would be focused, if there is a law, to love you. Thank you for this morning for each person. Bring them freedom, bring them hope, give them strength for this week, and help us to see the world around us, Lord, that you've placed us in specifically for a task. 